This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. The first reading is from the book of Jeremiah, beginning to read at chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from the letter to the Colossians, chapter one, and I will start reading from verse nine. We do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have been redeemed through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion for the last Sunday 
in the church calendar year, liturgical year, is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 23. We will honor an ancient Christian tradition. Please stand as we hear the good news of what God is doing through Jesus the Messiah. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save it yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Alex uh, Jacob, who is the CEO of CMJ, Church's Ministry Among the Jewish People in the United Kingdom. CMJ, I Uh, What is that, I hear you ask? That is the parent uh, Anglican mission organization that uh, founded this church and the work in Israel. It started in 1809 by a guy you may have heard of him, William Wilberforce. Yes. Okay. And uh, uh, Alex Jacob heads up the um, uh, work in the United Kingdom and, uh, and is here to deliver us the word of God on this Sunday of uh, Christ the King. Brother? Let's join together in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, in your Son, Jesus Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Touch the hearts and the minds of all present here today by your Holy Spirit, and give to each one of us reverence and humility. Without these gifts, it is impossible to receive the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for uh, the introduction. Thank you, David Pelleggi and the leaders here for the invitation to preach this morning. Last time I preached was Advent Sunday, so I'm a, I'm a week early. I, I began the church year last year and I finish it on this Sunday, so that's rather nice. But it's lovely to be here and I do send greetings to you from the, all the friends and supporters of the work here at Christchurch in the UK. So it's, it's, great, it's great to be here. I want to focus on the the reading from uh, Colossians in a few moments, Um, but the Jeremiah reading and the Gospel reading uh, contains key material, and there's much in both of those readings. And I know if you come to the service tonight, uh, my colleague Aaron will be taking us through the Gospel of Luke in more detail. 
But the book of Jeremiah, the reading which we had first, speaks of God's forthcoming judgment on the false and wicked leaders of Judah. Yet the promise of judgment is also followed by a promise of blessing that a king will arise. And in those readings in Jeremiah, we have one of the most powerful prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And that prophecy is repeated again in chapter 33, 15 to 16. And this promise of the return, uh, this promise of the coming of the Messiah is also linked to the promise of a return for those in exile. There's, ex there's a return from exile and also a restoration, which is both physical and spiritual. This act of restoration is so significant, Jeremiah says it even eclipses the great redemptive event of the Exodus. So there's a whole series of sermons we could look at using those wonderful words from Jeremiah. And then, of course, the Gospel of Luke. We have here the account of the crucifixion. And I think what strikes me most when I hear those words is the ability Jesus has to forgive in the most terrible suffering known to humanity. The ability to forgive. Maybe I can forgive on a good day, but when I'm having a bad day, and uh, the, the, the grace and the ability of Jesus to minister that forgiveness in that moment of ultimate crisis is, is, is truly awesome. And we have there the theme of, of the kingdom as we have the notice on the cross in verse 38 and, and the plea of the criminal that the Lord would remember him in the coming of his kingdom. And I think what's most amazing about that gospel passage is that the cross becomes a place of witness, uh, both to the criminal in verse 42, remember me, Lord, and a few verses later on, the, the confession of the centurion in verse 47. So the cross becomes a place of witness. Maybe this is a powerful reminder to all of us that we don't need to be strong and in control to be a good witness for Jesus. Maybe it is at times of our weakness that the strength and love of Jesus can be most clearly seen by others. So Jesus here in the suffering of the cross is able to minister a witness which both touches the life of the thief and the centurion. It's good to be strong and effective in ministry, but often it's in times of weakness when we feel out of our depth, times of vulnerability, times of brokenness, that maybe those times the Holy Spirit can move through us in an amazing way. So the cross becomes a place of witness. But I want to focus, as I said, on the reading from Colossians chapter 1. This passage is one of the four great Christological passages in the New Testament. Who is Jesus? How do we understand his divinity and his humanity? And the four places we will probably look at in the New Testament is the beginning of John's Gospel, the prologue of John. We will look at um, the passage at the beginning of Hebrews and Philippians 2 and here in Colossians 1. 
Those are the four key Christological passages. And I want to look at, at this passage this morning. As with most of Paul's letters, we can only begin to understand the questions he has been asked or the behavior which he has seen and he's now addressing from the answers he gives. We don't know directly what prompted this response in Colossians 1. But we do know that Paul is addressing some serious false teaching, some heresies which is creeping in to the early church community. We don't know how those heresies were being presented and by whom they were being promoted, but certainly they were eroding trust in Jesus and removing him from his rightful central place in regards to faith and discipleship. These false teachings probably were a fusion of both Jewish and Greek ideas. Paul clearly later in this letter warns against hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on the Messiah. And in, later in chapter 2, there's additional references to asceticism and philosophy which can undermine faith in Christ. I think for me the key in this passage in Colossians is the issue of authority. And this should not surprise us because the issue of authority is there in the Gospels as well. In Matthew ch chapter 7, it is noted by those who heard Jesus that he taught with authority unlike the other teachers of the law. He taught with authority. In Mark chapter 1, at the beginning of the public ministry, Mark said that Jesus ministers with authority. And in Luke chapter 20, there's a huge discussion about the authority of Jesus, where it comes from, and is it authentic? So issues of authority are woven through the gospel narrative. And here we have, again, an issue of authority. In verse 14 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness or the release of sins. Wow. What is that based upon? Where does the authority come from? The answer is it comes from Jesus. And Jesus then is described in these awesome terms regarding his, his authority, who Jesus is, his identity, both in his humanity and his divinity. From verse 15 following, it's probably a hymn of praise, perhaps one of the earliest in the New Testament, a hymn of praise which honors the rule, the kingly rule of the Messiah, the kingly rule spoken about back in Jeremiah and referred to again in our gospel reading. I think there are probably two parts of this early confessional hymn. Verses 15 to 17, if you look closely, focus on creation. And then from verses 18 to 20, there's a focus on redemption and reconciliation. But I wanted just to reflect on these four sayings which come out in these verses. Firstly, in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Paul uses this powerful term image also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 
The meaning of image certainly has connections way back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and the creation of humanity in the image of God. All of us as human beings are made in God's image. That gives us an incredible worth and status before God. Yet we know that this image is broken and distorted by sin, by Adam's sin resulting in the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But the image is, distort, is distorted and broken, but it is not destroyed. And that's the great joy and beauty of God's word, that we are in God's image and broken and uh, and fallen people can be made whole. Paul reflects on Adam's sin, the first Adam, in contrast with Jesus, the second Adam, in Romans 5 and again in 1 Corinthians 15. Yet here in Colossians, the term image refers to more than the humanity of Jesus. What we have here is all that pertained to Jesus before his incarnation, namely his creative powers, his eternal existence, his rule over the universe, and the fullness which dwells in him, verse 19. All in all, Paul is stating that the very being and attributes of God are uniquely and perfectly manifested in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. This is the source of the authority. Secondly, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. This cannot mean from this context of the first part of verse 15 and all that follows that Jesus is a created being. For how could a created being be the source of the creation of all things? But rather Paul is speaking here of the privileges held by the firstborn son, the privileges of sovereignty, priority and preeminence. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 17, the third statement, Jesus is before all things. This refers to time and again links back to that great Christological passage in John chapter 1. I encourage you, if you've got time today, to read John 1, those opening verses, and Philippians 2 and the beginning of Hebrews 1 and, and to ask the Lord to show you what those great passages, along with this passages, says about the person and work of Jesus. In him, all things hold together. Paul declares that the moment-by-moment -moment existence of all of the created order rests upon his providential care and power. Note also in these verses that the term all appears seven times within these six verses. Paul is saying, I'm talking here about a big picture, about all things. Whatever your vision and understanding of Jesus, it needs to be enlarged. It's not yet complete. And this is what Paul is stressing in Colossians 1. And finally, in verse 18, Jesus is the head of the body, his community. Here Paul uses the same picture, the same metaphor, as in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. Let's also look at verse 19, where Paul uses the term, all his fullness. 
The term here for Paul means all the power and attributes of God. While in Gnostic teaching, the term fullness, plumora in Greek, was a well-known technical term which meant the secret forces which control the fate of people. Maybe Paul is using this term to deliberately engage with and to refute those who are promoting such false Gnostic teaching. Whatever the Gnostics may be saying, Paul is saying the true answer, the true full picture of your destiny, of the destiny of this created order, is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. The goal of this supremacy of Jesus is a reconciling of all things. Perhaps those great words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21, where we see this ministry of reconciliation being worked out, is a helpful addition upon this text in Colossians 1. So again, it's worth, I think, if we have time, to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 21. The goal of this supremacy is a reconciliation of all things, not just me as a sinner to a holy God, not just us as a community to each other and to God, but the whole, all of creation. What a big picture. What a big God. The reconciling of all things cannot mean that all things are now reconciled. The kingdom is here, yet the reality, power, and presence of sin and brokenness is clearly also known and also seen. Paul knows of the great advance of the gospel in his own lifetime, yet he is brokenhearted that many of his own Jewish brothers and sisters are alienated from or opposed to the gospel. Romans chapter 9, verse 3. I think the hardest thing in any ministry, and those of you who have been involved in Christian service over many years will know this to be true, is how do you get the balance between the kingdom is here and we know the healing and the power of the Spirit in so many wonderful ways, yet we still live in a broken world. I remember we were in my first year of ministry um, many, many, many years ago, the great joy of seeing God's healing power at work in people's lives and, and the power of that. Yet I also did four funerals of children under five. So how do you live in that tension? God is here, God is at work. Yet we know the limitations of human sin and the brokenness of the world. In terms of Jewish mission, this is one of the big questions which are often asked of us. If Jesus is the Messiah, if his death and resurrection brings about the kingdom, why is there so much suffering? There doesn't look like much kingdom around here at times. And the reality of that is what we need to engage with. The answer for Paul, the answer which the Bible gives, is, is, is a complex one and also a simple one. Yes, the kingdom is here. Jesus is King and Lord through his death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit. Yet it is not complete. The fullness of that will wait until his second coming. So somehow, as believers, we live in that tension between what is and what is yet to be. And I think how we work that out in our prayers and in our discipleship is the key to authentic discipleship. If we underplay the power of the kingdom now, we will be shallow disciples. But if we overstate, then we will not be people living with a future hope and we'll be making false claims 
about the ease and privilege of discipleship when often we have to carry a cross. And that is the real tension. And however you express it, I think anybody in ministry would understand that tension. Yes, the kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully consummated. Yes, we're made in God's image and we have been restored and redeemed. Yet, we're still broken, vulnerable human beings. The kingdom is here, yet it is not fully consummated. We have seen, yet we also wait for what we have not yet seen. When we share communion, we will say the words that Christ has died, looking back to the past. Christ is risen here in the present. And we look to the future. Christ will come again. And we need, we need those three aspects to understand the gift of salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been saved. But also, you are being saved. And you will be saved. It's holding those things together. And I think this is what Paul is, Paul is proclaiming here in Colossians. So in Jewish mission, often it is this tension that we claim the Messiah has come and we celebrate that. And today we celebrate his kingship in our lives. Yet we still live in a broken world. A world of violence and rockets, a world of, 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 of abuse and sin. A world which gave, gave birth to the Holocaust. And as chairs of the gospel, we wrestle with that. And the way in which we present the victory and the ongoing struggles is what makes discipleship and witness authentic. If we get that balance wrong, our witness, however well-intentioned, will not be the authentic witness of the Spirit. What is being proclaimed here is that Jesus has the authority, the power, and the right to do the work of the kingdom. The way to come to him is now open for all. Through his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, and the outpouring of his spirit. So we present the gospel in this muddled, broken world. And that is a really key issue in our Jewish-Christian dialogue. The other key issues in that dialogue is to do with the identity of Jesus, monotheism, Christology. And again, this is rooted in this passage, along with issues of anti-Semitism and Jewish identity in the Messiah. Those are the key areas, and we often try and build bridges and dismantle the barriers. And a passage like Colossians 1 can be really helpful in building bridges and in dismantling barriers in our mission. So there's so much here. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus, before all things. Jesus, the head of the body, his community. The promise of both present and future reconciliation. So the way to come to him is now open for all. There is no enemy beyond the reach of God's redeeming love. There is no form of alienation which cannot be restored by the Father's welcome. There is no sin which cannot be washed away by the Messiah's shed blood. And there is no brokenness which cannot be healed by the indwelling of his spirit. In all of this, we begin to see the rule and reign of Jesus. 
We see it today, and we long for the day when we will see it complete, when we see him face to face. In the meantime, let us rejoice in what we do experience, and let, we, and let us celebrate that Jesus the Messiah has come to bring about his kingdom purposes. And he is indeed the one who has authority to speak into our lives and the life of this world because he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things and he is the head of the body, his community. We rejoice in what we know of Jesus. And as we share bread and wine this morning, may each of us know a little bit more and may the picture we have be expanded as we fall more and more in love with Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our brother, and our friend. Thanks be to Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.